Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's webinar, Translating Cosmic's Gold Standard Data into Actionable Insights. I am Kaylee Bach, and I'll be your moderator for today's event. Today's educational web seminar is brought to you by Kyogen. To learn more, visit kyogen.com. And with that, I'd like to now welcome our speakers, Leonie Hodges, Scientific Communications Officer for Cosmic, Welcome Sanger Institute. Also joining us for Q&A today is Dr. Alex Holmes, Senior Curator for Cosmic Welcome Sanger Institute. I'd also like to mention Jennifer Wilding, PhD, Scientist Curator for Cosmic Welcome Sanger Institute, who was advertised to be here, but unfortunately will not be able to join us today. Leonie, I'll pass it over to you to get us started. Welcome to our webinar, Translating Cosmic's Gold Standard Genomic Data into Actionable Insights. My name is Leonie Hodges, I'm the Scientific Communications Officer for Cosmic, and I'll be speaking today. So a quick overview of what we're going to be looking into, we'll have a quick introduction to Cosmic, followed by a little talk about our products, using the Cosmic products, then we'll have a look into some real-life applications, and then finish off with a quick Q&A with some of the Cosmic scientists. So what is COSMIC? COSMIC stands for the Catalogue of Somatic Mutations in Cancer, and we're an associate research program within the Wellcome Sanger Institute. We were launched by Professor Sir Mike Stratton and team in 2004 as a response to the lack of a database aiming to comprehensively curate cancer mutation information. With the anticipation that in forthcoming years, there were going to be orders and orders of magnitude more somatic mutations from cancer genomes coming out of both the projects at Sanger and others elsewhere. Navigating their way through all of those was going to be increasingly challenging. And it was with this in mind that a database was established to hold the mutations they were generating and to bring in from the literature the mutations that were already there so they could check the data that was coming out of their cancer genome sequencing against that of others that already existed. And of course, that's what we know as COSMIC today. This issue Professor Sir Mike Stratton and team faced is as relevant today as it was then. And you can see here just the speed at which data has been produced. From the first cancer case cured exclusively by radiation in 1889 to the rise of chemotherapy in 1940, progress was slow at first. But after Watson and Crick's discovery of DNA in 1952, a whole new branch of research emerged. Genetic research went from strength to strength in the late to 20th century, and it took only 20 years from the discovery of the first oncogene in 1970 for the first human genome project to be launched. And over a decade later, the first sequence of a human genome was produced in 2003. And today, Illumina can offer sequences that generate more than 20,000 whole genomes a year. The speed of advancements in technology, as discussed in the last slide, are reflected in the number of articles published referencing cancer and mutations or genomics today. There were over 120,000 publications in PubMed in 2022 alone that contained these queries. And today we have recorded over 6,800 distinct types of human cancer and cosmic alone. This again is reflected in COSMIC's data itself. You can see in the G sequences alone that we started off with only four, 
and now have over 50,000 gene sequences in COSMIC. But how do we begin to make sense of all of this data? We have a team of expert curators who identify, extract, standardize, and present the COSMIC data in easy to use formats, such as analytical tools and accessible data sets. And the way that this data gets into COSMIC in the first place are through two distinct streams. First of all, we have our genomic screens, our semi-automated annotation that allows us to get an idea of the broader genomic data that's out there. And secondly, we have what we take real pride in, which is our manual curation. These detailed genic analyses let us get really deep into that data. And we have a really high level of quality control that ends up projecting more than 30% of the papers because we are so dedicated to making sure that there are no inconsistencies in the COSMIC database. Once we have curated all of this data, we combine it into analytical tools and data sets that I'm going to go a little bit more into depth in now. So starting at the highest level, looking at mutations in the genes, we have our cancer gene census, which prioritizes genes with evidence of a causal role in cancer and explains how dysfunction of these genes drives cancer. Some of these have hallmarks annotations, which I'll also be looking into further. These feature highlights of classic behaviors displayed by gene products and whether they are promoted or suppressed. Moving down from the gene level, we also look at the mutations themselves. Our cancer mutation census separates driver from passenger mutations. The CMC classifies mutations into tiers based on bioinformatic analysis from sources such as ClinVar, DNDS ratios, and core cosmic data. And then we have the COSMIC 3D tool, which allows you to visualize consequences of specific mutations in a 3D protein model and view druggability scores for pockets. We also have the CellLines project. CellLines coverage provides high quality, consistent annotations for coding mutations, expression variants, and copy number variants across 1,020 commonly used cell lines in laboratory models. There's also the mutational signatures, which is quite a unique relationship we have with Cancer Research UK, where we host the data produced as a result of their Mutographs project, which is part of their Cancer Grand Challenges. Different mutational processes generate unique combinations of mutational types, and these mutational signatures characterise the biological processes driving these genetic changes. And last but not least on this slide, we have actionability which comprehensively curates the current stage of precision oncology. It tracks the progress of drug trials targeting specific mutations in specific diseases and whether the drugs are already available or not. These products all play a role in achieving the overall goal of COSMIC. And as previously mentioned, I'll be taking the time to discuss how these products can actually be applied to real world issues. Though this is a short overview, it really puts into perspective how we can begin with simply cataloging mutations and move deeper through the analysis, ending up with a focus on treatments and eventually improving cancer care for patients. In the next few slides, I'll be taking you through a demo of our web tools and then explaining a couple of the potential real world applications.
there are multiple different ways you can begin to delve into the cosmic data. And if you know exactly which gene you'd like to research, you can search for the gene directly from our homepage. On the other hand, if you're starting your research with this specific disease in mind, you would begin from our cancer browser. Using this tool, you can begin by defining the disease by tissue, subtissue, histology, and subhistology. And in this particular case, I've highlighted the path to investigate NSCLC, non-small cell lung cancer. And it is through the lens of this disease that I'll be looking at the cosmic database today. Once you've pressed go, you'll be presented with a graph like this, displaying the percentage of gene samples in our database that were mutated in the patients with the disease. The red bars on the graph show the number of samples tested and the blue bars the number of mutations. This can inform the gene that you may want to focus your research on. And once you have decided, you can click on the gene name and be taken to its mutation profile. And here is the aforementioned mutation profile. You can filter this view once you're here. For example, if you wanted to exclude synonymous mutations or wanted to focus on something specific, such as frameshift mutations. But the mutation that we're going to be focusing on today, you can see here. That large peak of recurrent gain-of-function mutations is typical of an oncogene. And in the case of EGFR and NSCLC, we're looking at the L858R mutation, which is frequently targeted in cancer therapies. While L858R is the most oncogenic mutation here, the most common oncogenic mutation here, it is not the only mutation type we can see. You can see the circled bars that are pointing down, and these are the deletions. These specific ones are in fact the second most common EGFR mutations. Scrolling further down the page, you can view precisely which part of the cosmic database your gene of interest is featured in, such as cosmic 3D, hallmarks, and what we're going to take a further look into now, the CGC, also known as the Cancer Gene Census. But what does it mean to be in tier one of the CGC like EGFR is? To be in tier one, a gene must possess documented activity relevant to cancer, along with evidence of mutations in cancer which change the activity of the gene product in a way that promotes oncogenic transformation. We also consider the existence of somatic mutation patterns across cancer samples gathered in COSMIC. For instance, Tumor suppressors genes often show a broad range of inactivating mutations, and dominant oncogenes usually demonstrate well-defined hotspots of missense mutations. Genes involved in oncogenic fusions are included in tier one when changes to their function caused by fusion drives oncogenic transformation, or in cases where they provide regulatory elements to their partners. To be included in tier two of the cancer gene census, the gene must show similar documented activity relevant to cancer. But the main difference here is that the data will most likely just be emerging. There will be less literature currently out there, and it is expected that there will be some more appear in the future. Our hallmarks of cancer annotations pull together manually curated information on the functions of proteins in line with Hanahan and Weinberg's 10 hallmarks of cancer, and we summarize this data in a simple graphical form. They present a condensed overview of the most relevant facts with quick, quick access to the literature source. 
So I've previously mentioned our CMC feature, and now I'm going to take you on a quick demo, in this case, of course, to show L858R via the Cancer Mutation Census. When you first arrive on the Cancer Mutation Census website, you want to start by making sure that you're logged in. You can't access the data without being logged in. You can see here that there is the option to download the Cancer Mutation Census, or CMC data too. But for today, we'll just be taking a quick look at the web tool. If you know which gene you'd like to take a look at, simply type in the search bar here and press enter. And you'll be taken to a gene page like this. And as you can see, there's quite a range of data contained within. Beginning on the left-hand side, you can see this little box, and we can see which tier of the cancer gene census the gene is in. It's role in cancer, in this case an oncogene, and which hallmarks are promoted or suppressed. All of this is linked to where you can find the more in-depth version of the information, including references, on the COSMIC website. This information provides a little context and overview of the gene, but it's this on the right-hand side of the screen that's the CMC information itself. Beginning at the mutation significance chart, the x-axis shows the gene position and each of the vertical bars are colour-coded to show which tier of the CMC the mutations at that position fall in. To take a closer look at a mutation of interest, you can use the tools above the chart here to navigate through the gene. For example, you can move across the gene by selecting this tool here and dragging from side to side like so. If you would like to investigate a specific portion of the gene, you can select this and highlight the section you would like to study to zoom in. The tools here are a more general zoom in and out, followed by an undo and redo of individual actions. And this button here resets the view to default. And then finally, this allows you to toggle the extra information boxes on and off. So, let's use this to take a look at the position we have been investigating so far, 858. So I personally like to start with the extra information turned off, just so I can see where I'm highlighting on the gene that little bit better. Then, I will use these tools to zoom in around here on the gene. And next, I toggle the information back on again, just to be sure I'm definitely clicking in the right place. And here is position 858, which you can see is in tier 1. Double-clicking this then takes you to the codon view. Here, mutations are separated out into tiers. First are the grey ones here, which are simply classed as other mutations. A yellow mutation is tier 3, meaning mutations here fall into one of three categories. First, they cause recurrent missense or small frame indels in a CGC oncogene, or loss of function in a CGC tumour suppressor gene. Second, it is classified as pathogenic or likely pathogenic in Klimvar cancer-related diseases. Or third, there is evidence of positive selection for the mutation as determined by the DNDS algorithm. Next are the orange mutations, representing Tier 2 of the census. Tier 2 mutations typically fall into two of the aforementioned categories. And finally, this red box is a Tier 1 mutation, which are classed as pathogenic in Klimvar cancer-related diseases and cause either recurrent missense or small-frame indels in a CGC oncogene, 
or loss of function in a CGC tumour suppressor gene. Using the tabs on the left-hand side of the screen, you can filter which mutations you want to look at by how they scored and some of the evidence we pull in to decide on their tier position. You can see visual representation of these scores on these bar graphs, or you can hover over the bar graphs for a numerical score. If you still want more detail though, you can double click on the mutation of choice, of course we'll be looking at L858R, to be taken to the mutation view. The left hand side begins by giving you a breakdown of exactly the mutation we're looking at. From codon to IDs to CGC and CMC tiers, then, on the right-hand side is the breakdowns of the genetic evidence that results in your mutation being placed in its specific tier. For example, you can view samples mutated in cosmic broken down by tissue, DNDS scores in relation to specific diseases, ClinVar traits and significance. All of this is neatly summed up in the bar chart on the left-hand side. The Cancer Mutation Census isn't our only web tool, of course, and that's what we'll be moving on to next. And onto Cosmic 3D, which allows you to visualise the 3D structure of the protein resulting from the gene that you are investigating. When you access Cosmic 3D, you can search for your gene, choose whichever structure suits your needs best, such as whether or not includes ligands or antibodies bound. And from here, Below the image, you can select the mutation you want to highlight and produce images like the one that you see here, where it is very clear that the mutant arginine is a larger molecule than the wild-type arginine. The idea of Cosmic 3D is not only to show the consequences of mutation, but address druggability too. As you can see here, L858R clearly affects the binding of the small molecule drug lapatinib. As Cosmic 3D is another one of our web tools, I'll be showing another quick demo on how to use some features. And while this is not exhaustive of Cosmic 3D's potential, it will give you a good look into the basics. As with the Cancer Mutation Census, you can begin by searching for your gene name. And in this case, we'll be looking at EGFR again. As previously mentioned, you can choose a structure to view that best suits your needs and you can do that from this tab here above the image, where all of the features of each structure are clearly labelled. You could also choose this by scrolling down here to see the coverage of all the PDB structures we have in Cosmic 3D for your gene of choice. For example, if you are only interested in the later half of the gene sequence, you may want to view one of these genes down here. The colours here link to missense mutation occurrence. The yellow areas indicate few mutations, while the red areas are where the most mutations occur. These numbers are relative, based on how well researched the gene is. These switches below allow you to switch on and off different features of the structure to best suit your needs. And below that again, it's using these numbers here that you can visualise the small molecule binding sites. And below again, view druggability scores for these pockets, as shown on my previous slides. And then finally, at the bottom of the page, is the Uniprop sequence mapping. Here, you can select and view a specific mutation. 
and of course, in our case, we'll again be looking at L858R. Once you have chosen your mutation, you can look at it in a lot more depth, ranging from the literature sources we have used to gather this information from, information that can be found elsewhere on the COSMIC website, and exactly how this mutation affects the structure, including those druggable pockets that I mentioned earlier. On the subject of cancer drugs and treatments, we also have our actionability dataset, which comprehensively curates the current state of precision oncology. But what does that involve? Let's take a look at some of the questions that you could answer with this data. For example, are there approved treatments for NSCLC patients with an EGFR L858R mutation? Not only would you be able to find the drug names for these approved drugs, but also their FDA approval status. What alternative treatments are in development? Here you'll be able to find trials targeting the same mutation and exactly what phase they're in. Are there any NSCLC EGFR L858R treatments in completed trials that have yet to produce results? Again, this information is available categorised by trial phase. And are there any NSCLC EGFR L858R trials that were unsuccessful or terminated? Not only can you find out if there were trials that were unsuccessful or terminated, you can also find the reason for the termination too. This isn't all the data that's included in actionability though, just a short snapshot. We have actionability tutorials available on our YouTube channel and you can download all of this data as a TSV file. Of course, treatment doesn't always run smoothly, and it's unfortunately quite common for a tumour to respond well initially, but for resistance to occur as time goes by. And this leaves the curation of resistance mutations as crucial as tracking precision oncology efforts happening right now. So what could you discover with our resistance mutation dataset? You could have a look at which mutations have data indicating they confer resistance to a specific drug, or which EGFR mutations lead to specific drug resistance? And also, can mutations within a specific gene cause drug resistance in specific cancers? As I previously mentioned, we're now going to be moving on to having a look at some real-life applications of this data. Some COSMIC users use COSMIC data as a proof of concept. Say you're investigating reactive oxygen species damage. You can match a mutational profile with a known mutational signature found in human cancers. If SBS18 is a match, it is possible that the mutations you have identified are as a result of reaction, reactive oxygen species damage. And this not only provides a better understanding of what's going on at the molecular level, but can also validate preliminary results and hypotheses. Another way that we are used is often in a clinical context. We can be used to support clinical decisions or define gene panels. Resources like the Cancer Gene Census and Actionability can be integrated into bioinformatic pipelines to filter patient data for significant mutations, genes and features. You can generate a report which highlights notable features of the cancer, such as potential driving mutations and possibly actionable mutations. 
And the result is that you gain a richer body of knowledge from the patient test results, which can support your clinical decisions. For more specific examples of real life cosmic uses, you can have a quick listen to our podcast, Conversations with Cosmic, for a really diverse range of user interviews. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to reach out to us via any of the means below if you have any questions that you think of after this session. But for now, I'm going to be joined by a couple of my colleagues for the Q&A portion of this webinar. All right. Well, thank you so much, Leonie, for your informative presentation. We will now start the live Q&A portion of the webinar. If you have a question that you'd like to ask, please do so now. Just click on the Ask a Question box located on the far left of your screen, and we'll answer as many of your questions as we have time for. All right. So again, I'd like to welcome Alex joining us today to help answer some questions. All right. So we've already got some great questions coming in from the audience, and we'll start with this one here. Um, Alex, this question is for you. I am interested in how the actionability tables for COSMIC are curated. I'm asking these questions because I have noticed that there are some discrepancies between treatment reported in Kaijin, QCI, and COSMIC actionability. So um, thank you for asking that question. Um, so the actionability curation is done by a specific sub-team within COSMIC, and this is currently um, run by Dr. Stephen Duke, who has, I believe, given a previous lab group seminar on the subject of actionability. So I suggest that you can look that up if you have some time. Um, in the short term, um, I'm afraid I can't directly answer your question, but I would recommend that you contact our help desk and Dr. Duke will no doubt be able to contact you with this information directly. Thank you so much. All right, next question here. Alex is also for you. How do COSMIC choose papers for curation and what types of data do they extract? So um, as um, you may gather from Leone's uh, presentation, um, the cancer literature is vast and ever growing. So it is um, both a technical and a scientific problem, how best to approach this. So what we do in terms of our curation team is that we divide responsibility for looking at the scientific literature um, on a gene-centric basis between different curators. So each curator has responsibility for running searches once a week to find um, relevant and high-priority papers. We also run specific focuses um, for each release, either based around genes or specific diseases as well. So um, it's a case of just refining what the results from PubMed are and using our sort of internal criteria to work out what's a priority. Um, but I would also say to our users um, that if you feel that we are lacking in a particular area or if there's a particular paper that we haven't curated, then please get in touch and tell us because um, user feedback is one of the criteria that we use to assess relevance and priority for curation. Great. Thank you, Alex. All right. This next question here. What is the difference between systematic screen and manual curation? Excuse me, Alex, I'll pass that over to you. Okay, thank you. So um, 
What we refer to by systematic screen is essentially papers where they are presenting whole genome or whole exome data. So, and manual curation tends to be from more targeted studies where they're focusing on an individual gene or they're looking at a particular gene panel rather than the whole genome or whole exome. So this leads to sort of two different um, categories of mutation because systematic screens are essentially unbiased. You know, you're looking at the whole genome or the whole exome. You're not going in with a particular focus on a specific area, whereas the targeted studies for manual curation, they are focusing on a subset of the, the whole genome, normally anywhere between half a dozen to three, four hundred genes that we can curate. So this leads to a difference in approach. Um, we differentiate between these two papers in Cosmic, I believe they have separate classifications. So you can see if the data comes from a systematic or manual curation, or indeed a paper which uses both approaches. Um, in terms of the metadata surrounding the mutations that we capture, there is essentially little difference between the two. We are capturing the same sort of sample level data. We're capturing tumor histologies and any relevant um, patient metadata and drug responses and so on that's provided in the paper. So the key difference is between whether or not the mutations are going in in an unbiased manner or in a sort of targeted, pre-selected, um, panel-based manner. Great, thank you. All right, we've got some great questions coming in here, so we're gonna continue. This next question says, um, regarding actionability data set, what are the countries that are covered with respect to clinical trials and drugs? And then it also says to give more context to this question, we know that some drugs are approved only in some countries and same is true for clinical trial availabilities. Yes, so currently at the moment, um, the actionability project is using clinicaltrials.gov, sort of the, the, the US NIH-based website to get its information from um, because that is the easiest resource at the moment to extract this and it contains a wealth of information. So there is definitely um, a US maybe centric um, perspective on the drugs for actionability, um, but we will be looking to expand the sources that we can use. And if you feel that anything is missing out, then please feel free to contact our help desk and the actionability team will be able to look into this for you. Great, thank you, Alex. All right, next question here asks, can tiers in COSMIC be mapped to already existing AMP, CAP, ASCO, or ESCAT tiering systems? Yes, so um, the answer to the question is, to be honest, I'm not sure because our, um, our tiering system, the Cancer Gene Census, um, this, we have our own internal process for doing this. So we are not relying on external sources that have already put genes into tiers to make our decisions. We are looking at the evidence independently and placing genes in the relevant tier based on that. Um, again, I suggest you could contact the help desk. Um, if people want to see if the tiers are comparable, they're welcome to take our data and their data to see how they align. But this is, an, this is done independently by COSMIC, the Cancer Gene Census, um, hallmarks of cancer. So I can 
Safety search and how much overlap there is, it's probably slightly different methodologies. I would encourage people to look at the, I think it's a Nature Reviews Cancer paper in 2018 where the methodology for this is described. But if you need any further updates again, feel free to contact the help desk and we'll be happy to provide them. Great. Thank you, Alex. All right, next question here. Leonie, I'll pass this one over to you. How often are actionability tables updated? Um, so actionability is updated a little more frequently than the rest of Cosmic. So um, most Cosmic data is updated every six months, but actionability is updated every three months. Great, thank you. All right. What are the data sources you use to collect clinical trials and how often are the clinical trials information updated in your database? So, um, as I said previously, we, the information from clinical trials will be taken from clinicaltrials.gov. And although these are curated on an ongoing basis, um, our users will only see the updates for each actionability release. Great, thank right. you. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry, I wasn't sure if I'd answered everything. I think we answered that one. Yep, thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, great. So this next question is a two-part question, and this asks, are there plans to include non-coding variants in COSMIC in the future? And is there an easy way to identify which transcript is being used when viewing the annotated somatic mutations and to switch to a different transcript if needed. So we already input non-coding mutations um, into COSMIC through both systematic screen and manual curation. So you can find these on the genome browser. Um, I think for users, the best way to look, examine this data is to use the download files where you can find a complete list of our mutations because um, the trouble with non-coding mutations is that these can be quite difficult to map to genes just because of the way the underlying data structures work, but you can certainly find them in the download files. In terms of looking at different transcripts, um, I believe you can do this on the website. It'll either be in the help files or again, you're free to contact us using our um, help desk and we, um, we will try and answer this for you. Thank you. All right, we've got time for a few more questions here, so we'll proceed. This next question asks, can we use cosmic signature to detect signature from non-human DNA? That's a really interesting question. Um, and it's actually one we've talked about internally. I'm, I'm not comfortable giving an answer to this one from a scientific perspective um, because mutational signatures are not my area of expertise. However, I know that a lot of mutational signature work does use mouse models. So um, presumably they have established that there is um, sort of relevance in mouse models to human disease. So I could imagine you can use the SIG profile tools, if you like, on any stretch of DNA you wish to see what it throws out. Um, 
and the early, I think a lot of the early mutational signatures work was done, um, some of it was done in sort of the roundworm C. elegans as well. So, you know, th there is a wealth of literature out there and um, investigate and play away with the tools and information as much as you wish. Great, thank you. All right. Are there tools for uploading a VCF file and get automated annotation and variant prioritization as output? This isn't currently a feature we offer, but um, we welcome all suggestions for future developments. Great. All right, next question. Is there any specific way you deal with false positives? For example, there are some systematic screening papers that report finding fusions that later prove to be present also in healthy population. Yes, so this is a very important part of the curation process. So the, one of the roles of the curators is essentially, we don't act as reviewers, so we're assuming that the data that we're presented with is correct. We have certain internal quality control procedures, so if something looks particularly unusual, we can contact the authors for clarification on this. Um, but... In general, curated databases, all curated databases tend to reflect the scientific literature back at scientists. So it is inevitable that there will be some false positives in any database, and that includes COSMIC. So we can use databases where they are looking at what is present in a healthy population and we can screen them out or people who use our data can sort of map against these to screen them out and this should be part of i think any sort of workflow that is looking at mutations to determine if they're significant or not um but i would also point out that it is not that unusual to find somatic mutations in healthy populations that are also implicated in cancer as well so there may be incidences of this, and of course, um, we can't say one way or the other where if this is an early driver event that might have been detected in a, in a, in a screen that leads to an unfortunate outcome, or if there is some other mechanism there, um, or even if it's just benign. So, yes, I mean, treat... Um, understand that... Um, no data set is perfect and do the appropriate controls um, when you're, you're doing your investigations. Great, thank you, Alex. All right, we've got time for a few more questions here and then we'll wrap up. This next question asks, does metadata curation involve the use of publicly available ontologies or does COSMIC have their own curation terminology? Yes, so, um, we use a few of the publicly available ontologies, um, particularly those um, surrounding sort of DNA sequences and so on. But we do have our own internal vocabularies, um, which are often compatible with publicly available ontologies as well. Um, so one of the things we do as manual curators is to use standard vocabularies 
for metadata when this is relevant. So in some cases, this is relatively easy to do. For example, drug responses, if they're expressed using sort of resist criteria, then we can translate that into our internal control vocabulary so everything is structured the same. Um, when it comes to other things such as environmental factors, we are in the process of doing internal mapping to standardize these and so on. Um, but at the moment, yeah, so we use a mixture of available ontologies and our own um, sort of controlled vocabularies. Great, thank you. All right, now we have time for one more question here and we'll wrap up after this one. This final question asks, are cosmic data already integrated into Kaigen's QCI or are there plans to do so? I think that is a question which I'm not qualified to answer at this point. It seems like this might be one that Kaijin might have opinions on or um, team within the social no senior problem. management team within Cosmic. Great, thank you. All right, we actually have time for one more question, so we'll add in one more here. Do you use some machine learning methods? Um, we don't currently use them for our curation method, but I mean, obviously, this is a very fast-growing area of science, and we keep a keen eye on developments in this. So, as and when these methods will give us sort of real added value, we will choose to use them. But at the moment, we're not. Great. Well, thank you. All right, that will conclude our session for today. Leonie, Alex, thank you so much. Do you have any final comments for our audience? Um, yeah, I know Alex mentioned a few times about um, saying that you can get back in contact with us. Um, so I just thought I'd let people know how they can get back in contact with us if you think of any more questions after this session. Um, you can email us um, using cosmic at sanger.ac.uk um, or feel free to get in contact via any of our social media. So we're on LinkedIn and we're also on Twitter. That's cosmic underscore sanger at the Twitter. So. Well, there's people manning that all the time, so it shouldn't take long for you to get an answer. Great. All right. Well, thank you again, Leonie and Alex, for your time today and your important research. We would also like to thank our sponsor, Kyogen, for underwriting today's educational webcast. Before we go, I'd like to thank the audience for joining us today and for their interesting questions. Questions we did not have time for today and those submitted during the on-demand period will be addressed by our speakers via the contact information you provided at the time of registration. So until next time, take care everyone. Goodbye.